Hey, listener, just a quick heads up. This is an extra long episode today. Normally, we try and do about 45 minutes, and today we went way over. But you will see the reason why when we get into it. It was my honey's birthday. Thanks for putting up with us. Have a great day. What if all you needed to get better in every way was available at the touch of a hand or the sound of a voice or even a vibration? Let's talk about how that happens, who can do it, and where to find them. I'm John Webster, and this is The Hesitant Healer. Greetings and welcome to The Hesitant Healer, yet another episode of The Hesitant Healer. And with me is my trusty, faithful sidekick, Lisa Kay. Say hi to everybody, Lisa Kay. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Look at that. Y'all don't know it, but we're sharing a microphone today, and she's got to lean in, and I know that's difficult for you to do, so so good job. You nailed it. Do you know we're like way past halfway through here? We've like done a lot of episodes for not wanting to do a lot of episodes, so that's pretty cool. Hey, uh, so here's the thing that happened today. It is my lovely wife, Lisa, Lisa number one, Lisa's birthday today. And she came in and got a massage because, uh, you know, that's what that's what the wives of massage therapists do. They have to uh, book their massages to get one. And if anybody will tell you that, it's her. It's like the uh, mechanic's wife's car is always broken, right? Um and then uh, during that massage, I said, hey, uh, what do you think about being on the podcast? And she went, oh, hey. So super special, extra special birthday podcast for Lisa number one. Woo, woo, woo. Here we have, and let me introduce you all, listener, to Lisa Webster. Hi, everybody. Look at that. Is that not the sexiest radio voice you ever heard? It's pretty darn good, yes. Um, so what I was thinking, my love, was that we would uh, maybe rehash some of your story because it's been a whole 17 years and you shouldn't be here. And what I was thinking of while I was working on you was um, you really are a miracle of sorts. And you know what brought this up, too, is you were talking about that friend that texted you last night that we hadn't heard from in a long time. Right. And uh, um, it, it, We'll lead right into that. This this person was a friend of yours in real life at the time, and this goes back 17 years to when you were diagnosed, like, even longer, right? Yeah, it goes back beyond that. Uh, yeah, but the time probably the, 18, 19 years. The time frame we're talking about here is when you got diagnosed with stage four metastatic reoccurrent melanoma, which we found out halfway through that uh, uh, time frame was deadly. In fact, we, we found out at, at about, I don't know, halfway through, you were reading in a book that uh, there is a an 80% mortality rate at one year and a 100% mortality rate at five years. It was yeah. something like that. So, yeah. And nobody had told us that, uh, that you were going to die. They were all treating it like, oh, you know, it's cancer and we can fix it and we're going to do this, that, and the other. But I've said before, I can't tell you how many times the doctor said it'd been so much better if you'd had breast cancer or some other kind of cancer because we know how to fix that. We don't know how to fix this. Melanoma is a deadly, deadly disease. And uh, it's a thing that's caused by a, a variety of factors, but being out in the sun is one of them. 
And you had all the fun factors that make it even worse because you're a red-haired girl and you're a fair-skinned girl and you already got some moles and you have a family history of skin cancer through your father. My dad. Yeah. So let me just interject a little bit. So as we were planning our wedding, that's when we found this one. But prior to that... I go back eight years back, and I had a mole on the inside of my upper arm. Left arm. And it was just a small little circle, but it had turned black. And they did a punch cut on it, cut it out, stitched it up, and uh, my, my doctor at the time didn't think it was anything. And so I went back in two weeks later to um, have the stitches removed. And I have a really, really poor memory, but I can remember sitting on the table and him telling me then that it was melanoma. And I'm like, well, thank God I'm sitting down because I kind of would have fell over otherwise. And I can remember sitting out in the lobby waiting because they were sending me down for chest x-rays to see if it was anywhere else because it was so close to my chest area and this it was in August and my parents were on vacation and you know we're talking 25 years ago even though I was a grown-ass adult I was all by myself and you know who do you reach for your parents but they were on vacation so I'm sitting in the lobby thinking what the hell right yeah that doesn't sound good because whenever we hear melanoma we hear deadly right yeah yeah right yeah you know it uh let me go back a little bit there are some signs the things you want to look for if you do have a mole um you mentioned coloration but one of the other things is if if you have a mole and the asymmetry is off so like the shape is one half of the skin lesion doesn't match the other if it's not a circle uh borders you want to look for borders the edges are ragged notched uneven or blurred uh, the color, shades of black or brown and tan may be present. It doesn't look like a normal mole. The diameter is usually larger than six millimeters or it grows in size and it's constantly or currently evolving, right? So if you have a mole that does any of those things, uh, get it checked immediately. So six millimeters um, is kind of the size of a uh, eraser on a pencil. So if it's bigger than a racer on a pencil, that's kind of a, a telltale sign. So what I had with this one, it was perfectly round. It was flat. It wasn't strange shape, but it had changed to black. Ah, so it wasn't always black. It used no. to be another color and then yeah. it changed. Okay. So it doesn't have to be all of those things. It could be one of those things. And and that's a telltale sign. We recently had a, a client come in who had just uh, been diagnosed, not staged, but diagnosed. And... Um, I've had a couple over the years, Lisa, Lisa, that uh, that they come in and say, I was just diagnosed. Both two or three of these were, were breast cancer. I was just diagnosed. And when I asked the follow-up question of, so what's next? They're like, well, I have a follow-up appointment three months from now. Right? right? And that that is the state of our, our current Western medicine uh, procedures on on breast cancer. Look at and I, I mentioned this a couple times. You have the right to stand up to your doctor or to the establishment and fight for something better than that. 
And and if you're going to stick with that, or if that's the way it is, and 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 you're stuck, understand this is this is what I call I don't know land, right? Hey, you got something really bad. Come back, and we'll fix it like X amount of time. Meanwhile, you're stuck with I have cancer. It's growing. They're concerned enough to make procedures, and I have to wait. And it's in me. What the f do I do now, right? So. This is where meditation and prayer and 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 foundation and Lisa mentioned her parents. You you want to start gathering people in your corner to help you fight and to help you keep calm because agitation and fear and and all the things that come with that 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 energy of I don't know uh, can also help with making you sick. I think it goes to, we just talked about this last week too, advocacy. So years ago, we did whatever our doctor told us to do, and we did it whenever he told us to do it. And, um, you know, we didn't necessarily ask questions, and we didn't necessarily uh, get pushy. But um, the state of medicine today, uh, I think that you have to be your own best advocate, for sure. Agreed. So, uh, and then back to what we started this with, you had a friend that, uh, she just happened to work in the medical field in billing, I think it was. Something like that. It, it might not have been billing. I, I, You know, I can't remember where exactly she worked. Um, you know, it was... She she was a big help, though. She was a big help because she worked in the, in the field of our... Uh, health uh, insurance. Health insurance that was able to get us the second opinion. And she broke through a lot of red tape um, so that we got it almost immediately. And it turns out that second opinion is the thing that saved your life. Dr. Mark Ferries from uh, John Wayne Cancer out in Santa Monica. Um, and, and we got hooked up with that guy, and that's the thing that eventually saved your life. But leading up to, because you've alluded to we were getting married and, and you got diagnosed with this thing, um, what do you remember about that? So... Uh- we were planning the wedding, and I can remember at one point feeling a lump right in the crook of my arm between my shoulder and my breast. And so I went into the doctor to get it checked. It felt uh, pretty significant in size. I wouldn't say as big as a golf ball, but it was a pretty good size. If I remember, I'm going to say maybe a little bit bigger than a peanut M&M. Maybe a little bit bigger than that. Okay, I thought it was bigger. But it, it, you know what? It might have been. It, it wasn't golf ball size. It wasn't peanut M and M size. Uh, but it was up there. Maybe about the size of a of a whopper. I'm gonna give you that since I'll, I'll, since we've got Halloween go candy on our minds. I'll give you that. Right? I like so that. So I I went in and they they felt it and I I thought okay you know it's probably an infected lymph node. And you went to your primary doctor. I did. I did. And who, who was a family friend that you'd had for years. Well, you, you knew uh, yeah, him well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, um, so they gave me antibiotics. And, of course, the swelling went down. And it's like, fantastic. You know, carry on. But as soon as I finished the 10 days on, on the medication, within a few days, the lump was back again. And so then I called and went back in. And I don't exactly remember um, 
well, let me try and think here. They they set me up to have it scanned. So they did, what is it, the ultrasound? Mm-hmm. Like they do on, yeah. Yeah. So, so they did the ultrasound. And I was um, oh, leaving the doctor's office, and I was probably 10 minutes away from there. So people in this area, I was up in Highland, and I got a phone call when I hit Paris Hill Park, Ooh. which is, you know, maybe 10 minutes. And if I, that, yeah. Yeah. And I saw that it was the doctor's office. And I pulled in to the parking lot where my hairdresser was, actually. <laughs> and I thought, this is not good. Why is the doctor's office? Either that or the test is messed up and I got to go back again. And so I pulled over and she says, we're not sure what it is, but it doesn't look right. And she says, um, I've already talked to them over at the surgery center and um, we need to make you an appointment to get in because they don't know what it is. Wow. Wow. And, and do you remember your level of concern at that moment? Well, I was multitude of different emotions. I was like, holy crap, you know, this can't be good. And in that 10 minute frame, she's looked at it, already contacted a surgeon and then contacted me. It's it's never good. Right. No. It's never good. And they don't they don't they don't drop it on you like that, but you know enough to know that if a doctor calls you back within 10 minutes of getting a test and they've already scheduled your stuff. Right. It's they're not good. they're serious. It's like watching firefighters move really fast or really slow. Mm-hmm. Big difference, right? So then uh, we went in to see the surgeon, and uh, this is before the wedding. Yes, it this is. one I was at. Yeah, yeah. This this was before the wedding. This is probably six weeks before the wedding, and he's he repeated what the doctor had said that they didn't know what it was, but he. He wanted to go in and uh, cut it out. And I promptly said, well, we're going to have to wait. I'm wearing a strapless wedding gown in six weeks. <laughs> That's right. And, and I know he was concerned for all the reasons that we just said. Is it because of your your prior history and it was in the same place? It was almost directly above or close to where you'd already had that surgery eight years prior. Yes. And And because you had a history of it, a family history of it, and because you were a red-haired girl and because you were fair-skinned and had moles, all those things, he says, it's it's a pretty big deal. And you're like, yeah, I'm getting married. And, and that's going, a pretty big deal. A, we're going on a honeymoon. <laughs> and he's like, well, okay, um, we'll do the surgery after you get back. So uh, part of this you're going to have to fill in because, you know, some of this gets kind of fuzzy. Well, we did get married. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure about and, that one. And we did go on a honeymoon. We did. Because it was on a boat around yeah, the Hawaiian it, Islands. I remember was. that. But I know I went in for the surgery, and uh, John will have to fill in what the doctor had said at that point, because I I don't know. That was the day your mom and dad and sister were there. Yes. And Brianna, my youngest daughter, had her driver's appointment. And uh, I went in and, and sat with you while they prepped. Um I think I remember bumping into a nurse that I knew from the program and uh, said hi to her and kissed you on the forehead and went out and said I was going to go do Brianna's uh, driving, uh, test. driving test and I'd be back. So is 
this isn't a surgery center kind of thing, it, rather than no, it was a hospital. It was at Redlands Community. Oh. We were at Redlands Community, and it was in their surgery center. Okay. It was kind of before surgery centers were a thing. In fact, I think it was even before that whole surgery center across the street from the hospital was built. So okay. it, it was a time away. And uh, so I go do the driver's test. She passed. I come back, and I come back, and your sister is on the floor in a fetal position, hysterical. Your mom and dad are hugging each other and crying. And they can't even tell me what happened because they're so distraught. And I meet the doctor in scrubs in the hallway and he leans against the wall and he says, I cut open her arm and I reached in there and uh, everything I see is black and that's not good. He goes, I took as many of the tumors as I could out. He says, but I stuck my finger up inside her brachial plexus and I can feel tumors all the way up into her neck. He goes, and that's too an extensive of a surgery for me to do. I'm like, so he says, well, it's not good. And that was pretty much the whole conversation. Um, now, I have a question because I've heard this story a couple times. So he tells you that. Has he taken anything out at that moment? He did. He had taken out. He said, I took all the tumors I could take out, but there's smaller ones and there were some in there. He says, it's, it's just too extensive and it's too big for me. But the thing that concerned him the most was the black on the ribs because anything inside of a body that's black is just bad. Um, we had also had a biopsy. You said that already, right? We'd also had a biopsy. And at this point... Uh, we had already been introduced to our second opinion. So, yeah, because we called him right away. She's nodding her head. So we had had a biopsy because that's when they determined that it was cancer. Here we go. I remember now. <laughs> I remember now. They went to do, we asked them to take out the lymph node because they thought it was in the lymph node. And, and he said he couldn't biopsy it because of where it was at inside the brachial plexus. And so we got a second opinion, and he said he could do a biopsy, and he biopsied it and said, it is cancer. But you're bypassing Dr. Death. Oh, right. I, I did bypass Dr. Right, Death. Right, because we didn't go right from surgery to Dr. Ferry's. We got referred over to the oncology unit where we met Dr. Death. This is before the surgery. This is, this is before the surgery because he told us this is where the biopsy came from. Uh, sorry, folks, we're, we're, this is a long time ago. You know what? Wait, I, I just want to say, because really the, John and Lisa lived this. Um, what, your, what your brain does when you have had that kind of a trauma, which is huge and big, is it's going to protect you by helping you to forget some of the, the worst parts. All right, I'll give you that. Thank you for not saying it's because we're well, old. And we, re we remember it differently, too, because Correct. I was living the whole entire thing. Right, right, right. And one of the things that you said a lot and, con and constantly, which is the same as a lot, um, was that you didn't feel sick. Right, the, never. The weird, maddening thing was that you didn't feel sick. You never looked like you had cancer. You never had a thing where you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. It was just people telling you how bad it was. So here's what happened. You got diagnosed, and then we went to have a biopsy. One of the doctors couldn't do the biopsy because he said of where it was, it was too dangerous, and he'd have to go in and take it out. We got a second opinion in that time frame. He said he could biopsy it, and we went back to the other doctor, and they decided to do a minor surgery and took out a lymph node that had the cancer in it and the one above it 
and they came back and said that one did not have cancer in it, so we were relatively clear. It was in that time frame that we felt like we were okay. And I was massaging you a little bit then, and I did it about every week or every two weeks. And I remember one week it was gone after that surgery, and a week later or two weeks later, there were three lumps in there. Mm. And that's aggressive. That's when we went back and talked to who we affectionately called Dr. Death. And he was... uh, he had a very angry tone, and he was very, very fear-mongering, as in, this is a bed cancer. Mm-hmm. If it goes anywhere in your body, basically what he was saying is if it metastasizes, it's going into your brain and your organs, and you're going to die. And we need to do major surgery now. But it wasn't just major surgery. It was like, we're going to cut everything out. And we found out later from the doctor that did... From the doctor that that we just talked about that did that surgery, that this guy, Dr. Death, had gone to the cancer board because every time you do a major surgery, they they all kick it around and talk about it. He had advocated to cut your arm off. No. Really? Yeah. He wanted to cut her arm off. And and this surgeon told me, uh, he goes, I, I couldn't believe he said that. He goes, I remember this case. He goes, I just couldn't believe he actually said that out loud, but he wanted to cut your arm off. Well, and on top of it all, it it's on my left side, and I am left-handed. Oh, gosh. So, you know, that just adds to the complication had they done that. Right. But here, here's part of the advocacy is uh, this guy didn't sit well with us from the get-go. No. We didn't have a good feeling in the consultation. We didn't have a good feeling after the consultation. We didn't have a really good feeling two or three days after because not only did he sow a crap load of fear, he wasn't coming up with any solutions other than I want to cut, I want to cut, and it's horrible, it's horrible, horrible. Um, that's not to say that he wasn't right, but the way he delivered it and because nobody had told us how bad it was going in, even though we found that out eventually, it was the delivery of how he did it, and it just didn't sit right, so we we canceled him. And that's when we got our second opinion, and then we went to his partner, who was in the same office, but he was older, and he was a, a much gentler conductor of information. And he told us it was just as bad, and we should have the biopsy, and that's when we went in and did the surgery that we just alluded to. So uh, what we started learning... Two things from my memory. Every fucking buddy's got a cancer story. And and I'll sidebar here with, with horrible news, horrible information, trauma, or a cancer story. When you're in the middle of it, it's usually not helpful to have somebody come up to you and say, I had a brother that had that cancer. And, you know, I just totally feel for you. And I know. And uh, those people, really, those people will kill you. So if I... As you're telling the story and the going in and getting the biopsy done, is this when Dr. Ferries called me at home just to check on me? I'm getting there. Oh, okay. I'm getting there. Uh, the other thing is, and what I, I remember what I did was I, I pretty much protected you from anybody who was going to look at you with the cancer look, right? Yes. Who reaches out and wants to touch you and say, oh. Yeah, 
Yeah, my mother was one of them. Absolutely. I, I blocked you off from her because uh, those people will kill you. They'll suck you down into the mire of, I feel bad, so I'm going to tell you my story so that I can feel better. It has nothing to do with, I'm fighting with you and I'm going to take you wherever you need to go, right? So we get the biopsy. Here's one of the stories I started with. We get that surgery done. He tells us about all that stuff. He sews you back up and says, I can't do it. Um, now we got to wait for the next doctor appointment to hear the official results from the surgery you just had and a surgeon that told me it's bad. And I don't remember what that time frame was. I want to say two weeks. But they sew you up. They tell you it's bad. You have a living thing inside of you that's killing you. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Right? Okay. So I have a question. So they've done that. They've sewed you up. And you go home and you don't have a, a appointment for two more weeks. Are you anticipating another surgery at this point? Or are you, we, you're just really in I don't know land? I think it was more, more in I don't know land. Um, I, I can't say for sure. You know, all, all that stuff is, is all garbled and lumped in together in my memory. So it's, it's real hard to remember time frames in that. This is a time frame where we started learning about alternative medicine too. Uh, yes. This is a time where you want to become your biggest and best advocate. This is where you want to get on the internet. This is where you want to talk to people that have been through it. This is where you want to find books and read about the specific thing that you have been diagnosed with. To an extent. To an extent. Because what that brought about on the negative side was we found out that everything causes cancer. I remember you laying in bed for three days not eating anything because everything you eat causes cancer. Uh, yeah, I was afraid. I didn't know which way to go. And, you know, after reading some of these books, and no matter what it was, it was going to kill me. But in that time frame of waiting, we were we were being advocates for you and for ourselves too, and yes. we we started learning about um, Ayurvedic medicine. We we found Deepak Chopra's doctor, David Simon, down in uh, in La Costa down there, and we went and saw him and and learned a little bit about Ayurvedic medicine and what his thoughts were on it. We uh, through that we got a guy who was a, an Ayurvedic um, meditation guy. And we Pump went and strength. saw him for a, for a series of uh, guided meditations and got mantras and had a, had a whole thing. Um, all of these cost money, by the way. They weren't doing this shit for free, but no. we, we were willing to do whatever it took. We learned about diet and grains and oxygenated water and um, German cancer therapies and... and the psychobiology of cancer. I have all those books in my office, and and we we learned a lot of stuff. The the one thing, and, and I'm bad about it now, that we really learned. And if nobody takes anything from this podcast, is if you uh, have cancer, cancer feeds off of sugar. So that was the thing that we immediately got out of the diet was sugar because they cannot live in an environment, cancer cells can't live in an environment where there's no sugar. You know, I mean, the horrific part is cancer, but the second horrific part is... <laughs> I had to give up sugar. <laughs> well, you had to give up sugar, and my mother was right. 
Because yeah. she said cancer was of the devil, or sugar was of the devil, for yes. sure. Um, we did a thing called Steamy Wonder. You yes. Were, you were getting massages every week from me. We were taking you up the hill to uh, our friend Joanne, who does Reiki, and you were getting Reiki once a week. And then my uh, massage teacher had a thing called Steamy Wonder, which was kind of like a tent that goes over a massage table. And it hooks to a, a steam machine with a, a tube, and it, it it there's a neck collar, and then it's just a, a tent that goes over it's your like body. It's like a private sauna. It is, and then okay. it and so it steams you up, right? And it hot, hot. Get you get the body up to 120 degrees, Lisa. It's whoa. It, and and it, as soon as that's done, as, Here, as hot as you can stand part. it. Here's the part Lisa hated. Uh, then she's got buckets and towels of ice water. And socks with ice in them. And the socks are dipped in the, the ice water. And she pulls that steamy wonder off. And you're pretty much butt naked. And, and she just iced you down with these socks on the table. Yeah, you might as well have just put me in an ice bath. I mean, Well, you know. if we'd have had one, yeah. Right, right. And, and you do that a couple of times. You put the steam on, you do the ice. But what that does is raise the body temperature and lower the body temperature and kick the white blood cells into almost doubling Hyperdrive. inside your body. And uh, we had that done weekly as well, too. So in addition to diet, uh, I don't know that we were doing any exercises because you were pretty beat up then. Your psychological uh, makeup was was pretty harsh. And a lot of this was, I don't feel sick. How can I be dying if I don't feel sick, right? And in the meantime, we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And we finally get to go to uh, the second oncologist. And he was really good about reading... uh, the notes. So he reads the liner notes from the surgery. In addition to all the things that uh, the doctor had said, the surgeon had said, they had also accidentally nicked one of the main veins in your arm, and they had to sew that up, which is why the surgery took a little extra time too. So they had made a mistake, and they had they had nicked one of you had a bleeder, and and they nicked that. So uh, basically, this guy says, "Yeah, this is bad," and. Uh, We've done all we can do for you. The best I can do for you is a, a drug called interferon. Do you remember what they said about interferon? Yeah. They said you're going to be taking it and you're going to have flu-like symptoms. Extreme flu-like yes. symptoms. And there's nothing we can do about that. You remember how long it was for? A year. Yeah. You're going to have a flu for a year and there's nothing we can do about that. Right. Wow. And then we said, what's the efficacy? What's, what's the cure rate? And he said 13%. And we're like, yeah, fuck that. That's yeah, the best I'm you can do. I'm not going to be sick for a year for 13%. And here's one, of the, here's one of the ones that said, you know, it'd be so better if you had a different kind of cancer because we right. know how to fix that, right? And then he says, I suggest you go to the CDC on the East Coast in Atlanta and uh, see if you can get into a clinical trial because uh, that's going to be your best shot. Otherwise, basically, and you can see him wringing his hands, you're going to die. Yeah. Have a, ni- have a nice day. Really? That's like, I, I'm sorry. That just sounds so, first of all, unprofessional. And I. Oh, he did it nicely. Yes. <laughs> he he, he did nice. it nicely, but we, we roiled out of there. I mean, it's like, wah, wah, wah. You know, I mean, you can't hear anything. You can't see anything. You can't feel anything. You've just been condemned to death by the best doctors you have in your in your program, and and after I we had just got married six weeks ago. Oh my gosh! Right, and 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 we drive home, and it's like you can't even cry. You're just numb. You've been kicked in the gut 
we get home and my mind is racing and I got I got family on the East Coast. I start making phone calls. Now we have two phones in this house. They were two different lines, right? So I'm on one line in the house and and I'm calling family members who live on the East Coast to find out where we can stay uh, and drive to Atlanta or how we're going to do this. I'm ready to sell the house. I called the real estate agent. I, I think uh, um, Racer X was selling real estate at the time and I, I talked to him about it and, and I'm ready to sell the house because we're taking all that money. We're going to save our life here, right? And then something happened. I get a phone call. Just out of the blue. Uh, literally out of the blue. While I'm making these other phone calls. And it was from Dr. Ferries at uh, John Wayne Cancer Institute. Mm-hmm. Just calling to check on me. Wow. I mean, what doctor does that? No, no doctor. No. And, and he's like the head of the melanoma unit there so it's not like he was some flunky calling to check and i said well this is what's going on yeah and and i said they said there's nothing that they can do for me they told us to go to the east coast and try and get into a clinical trial and he's like what and and i repeated it and i said i've got all the notes here so i faxed them over to him (laughs) fax i love it remember faxes yes (laughs) And he read through it, and he got back to me, and he says, I can do this surgery, and we have the best clinical trials around. I have no idea why they would want to send you to the East Coast. So here's an example of of the biggest and brightest doctor and oncologist and surgeon in our area with our benefits who had completely written her off. And if we'd have bought into that, if we'd have listened to them, the first one, she would have had her arm cut off. The second one, and if it had metastasized, she'd have been dead. The second one, they couldn't do anything. The surgeon couldn't do anything. She'd be dead. A hundred percent, she'd be dead. So this falls under miracle a little bit, right? I agree. Yeah, for sure. So we go out to see this guy. And uh, he sets us up with a program of, first, we're going to do the surgery. Then we're going to do radiation. We're not going to do chemotherapy. We're going to do the clinical trial after that. Now, each one of those procedures is invasive. Each one of those procedures requires time in between it for healing to happen. And the first one was the biggest. So the first surgery, which he said is going to take a couple of hours, got scheduled. And I don't remember the time frame, but it was it because you were still healing from the other one. You need months in between these surgeries before they can cut you open and do it again. Right. But the thing we need to throw in here, too, is that as we were learning about alternative measures and, and methods, we... You know, like you said, we were doing the Ayurvedic, we were doing the all organic, we were doing the no sugar. So we were doing stuff in between, which will lead into what happened with the surgery. Correct. That's correct. So as we were continuing to learn about alternative medicines, we were trying everything. We were throwing all the spaghetti at the wall, Lisa Kay, all of it <laughs> to see what would stick. And, and, uh, Here's another thing that I think is important for anybody that's going through this kind of stuff is 
there would be days where you couldn't get out of bed. There were days where you couldn't get off the couch. And and you would be severely depressed, as you should have been. This is a scary thing. But you remember what I did on days like that, when you did stuff like that? No. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't remember those days. <laughs> I would uh, get you up. I would tell you that you have two hours or 30 minutes or whatever whatever came into my pretty little head at the time. We're going to throw a pity party for you for, let's say, an hour. So you lay there, you kick and scream, let's talk about it, you're going to die, whatever, tell me what you're feeling, let's be sad, all of that. And then at the end of an hour, you're fucking done. We're going to get up, we're going to go for a walk. But that came through Dr. Ferries. It did it. It did. How so? Because I can remember him saying that. You're allowed to have a pity party. You are going through some serious stuff. But it has to be a short pity party. Damn and then it. it's over with. I thought you that get was one a my day. idea. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I'll give that to him. He, he gets a lot of credit yeah, for this. A lot. Thing. So that time frame passed, and we went and had surgery. And here is the, the fateful day. We went out to John Wayne Cancer. Uh, it was a very, very gloomy day. Uh, super overcast. He was said that uh, it was going to take a couple hours. Now, in my head, this is six months between surgeries. It was a, it was a pretty good time frame. It probably was. Okay, so it's been six months of learning alternative medicine and a- adhering to alternative medicine consistently um, throughout that time period. So I go sit in the waiting room. He goes in. Two hours passes. Three hours passes. Four hours passes. Mm. Nobody knows nothing. Five, six. I go get coffee. Seven, eight, oh, nine wow. hours. Nine hours. Now, in that time frame, because this uh, I alluded to a couple podcasts ago, when I went to go get coffee, I remember walking down the road. It was dark. It was overcast. There were a bunch of dead trees. I have a super vivid memory burned into my brain of a just a dead tree looking up into the sky of a dark sky. It was super dark, super dark. And um and and that's my memory of that day is that tree and that um why that's important is the next 2 years on that anniversary it wasn't gloomy, it was sunny. Mm. The third year on that day it was gloomy and I couldn't get out of bed. Mm. I was good until I just looked over. <laughs> but I'm still here. You're so still here. You're still good. here. No. Um, and that gloominess, my body knew that environmental imprint of what that day was. And I was tanked. I couldn't get out of bed. And because we kept journals, we were able to journal up and go, oh, this is the day you had surgery. Because like Lisa said earlier, uh, you don't remember this shit. You don't, your body knows the cycle. Your body knows the time frame. Your brain does not because you're checked out, right? So nine hours later, he comes out. And he says, uh, you know, there's some weird things that went on. All that stuff. We opened her up and all that stuff on her ribs, it's black. He says, we brought a team in to biopsy that stuff live. He says, and everything on her on her ribs, it's it's just all dead. It's all dead cancer cells. He goes, none of it's alive. He goes, I took out every possible tumor I could. He goes, and we biopsied them. He goes, what's interesting is that they're smaller than they were the last time I looked, and wow. and it appears that they're regressing, not getting bigger. He goes, and I don't understand that. <laughs> and then he says, uh, he goes, and then 
you know, we found a thing in there that we really didn't understand, and we had to call up the surgical notes from the last surgery. And uh, apparently they nicked a vein or an artery. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He goes, yeah, the whole the whole arm has rerouted itself in the last six months. Oh, my goodness. It, it didn't die. It, that vein that they that they cut atrophied, but the there were new veins that had grown in her arm in that time frame. He goes, and I don't quite understand that either. Wow. I became a big believer in uh, alternative medicine that day. Because right. And we don't know which one it was or if it was the combination. No, right? so I got to learn about all of them. But right. I mean, it's it's made me who I am today because it totally got me interested at a visceral level of what it could do and how both worlds could pair as well. Because we, we didn't hedge our bet. You were getting surgery. We weren't going to uh, rely on alternative 100%. Right. But we had proof in my mind, mm -hmm. that what we had been doing was working at some level. And I, I, it's a belief system, a foundational belief system of the work that I do today that I operate under that belief system from the get-go. If you come into me and see me and we're working on something, I start with, this is fixable until it's proven that it's not. Because I've seen too many things like this. But you're ground zero for this. It, it, you're still here and you were going to die. You should have died, right? So... From there, he said, all the tumors that I couldn't get out, the ones that are too small, we're going to have to radiate. And so now there's more time frame in between. There's healing from this major surgery. And I don't remember the time frame here. I want to say three months, but it may have been even longer. But we were going out to L.A. pretty much every week, right? Yes. And So they, the, the radiation is done in L.A.? No. 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 We had, well... What I remember is, okay, we had the surgery, and they had to test me for the clinical trial. He says, we have a perfect trial here for, you know, for melanoma, mm -hmm. um, but we need to see if you meet the criteria. So they did the, the testing on me that they had to do, and um, fortunately, I had double what was needed. Oh. So... You know, finally something in my favor. Right. It's finally a good one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we had to do the surgery. We had to recover from the surgery. And then they were doing super intensive. Uh, I had five rounds of radiation, only five rounds, but it was equivalent to five weeks worth of radiation. Wow. And they did that in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, uh, they did it in two sessions, but they bombarded you. Yeah. And this yeah. was first, well, was, well, first you had to get tattoos and markers too. Yes. And it, this was done in Redlands. And when, the, when they were marking me up, they got my right arm caught in the machine and almost tore that off. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> had I gone with the one, I would have lost my left and wow. you know, my right. But yes, I had to get all marked up. And they were just really, really intensive um, radiation sessions. And, you know, with radiation, you don't see anything on the outside. Right. But it's like having a severe uh, sunburn on the inside. And 
we all know from going to the beach and, you know, hanging out at the lake or what have you, how exhausting it is after you've been a day in the sun. So imagine that amplified in radiation. I can remember looking down the hallway and thinking, I I just can't walk that far. Wow. Just being exhausted. And I remember my cousin, she had... um, lymphoma she had told me the same thing she had gone through a a clinical trial also so she told me all the things to look for when uh, we got to this point to make sure that I was not getting the placebo that it was at a certain stage so that I was getting real medicine so we had to make sure all those things were going to when we were um, approached by Dr. Ferries with this which you know it was what in the third third or fourth stage uh, the clinical trial was, and it was. Yeah, I still to this day believe you were the last one that he that he snuck you in under the wire. That they were almost done or done, and that he got you in as the last patient zero for that. A um, couple of things. The first thing with uh, with the radiation, uh, they have these things called markers, and sometimes they'll embed um, little pieces of metal clips, yes. Yes. and uh, they will also tattoo, and that is for precision of where they want to line up. The radiation because it's it's a fine fine it's not like they radiate a plane they radiate specific areas and they do it almost on a dot matrix and where your radiation was under your arm is is really close to breast tissue they had already taken out 28 lymph nodes they pretty much did a full lymphectomy in your axillary area under your armpit and took all of those nodes out so you still have a lymph system it's it's veins or, or tributaries of lymph but you don't have the pumping stations of the of the lymph nodes so uh part of the concern with the radiation was that you were going to swell up in that area as well and and we all know that inflammation is not really great and that you're not going to heal as fast so that was a concern and they had to be super careful about that and they were super careful about um not getting into any breast tissue having said that the sunburn thing to my feel to my touch we have these planes of fascia, these th- super thin layers of, of fascial planing that are throughout our body. But in that specific area, if you think about breasts and chest and thorax going up into your neck and even up into your brain, um, if you grab your T-shirt with both hands and pull it down and feel, that's kind of the plane that they're dealing with. And they're radiating right in that area between the skin and the bone down into the muscle. They try and hold the radiation so that it doesn't get into the muscle. But having worked on some people that have had that issue, it's, it's. Uh, I hate to use this analogy, but being an ex-chef and a massage therapist, it, you're burning meat, right? And if you think about putting a piece of bacon or a piece of meat that has gristle or fascia still attached to it, it's gonna curl up with the addition of heat. It's gonna get harder with the addition of heat. This is, this is the nature of the matrix of that kind of, of tissue with the application of heat, the thermodynamics of the application of heat. It's the first thing I learned as a chef. And, and so to my touch, when I would work on you there, it's not soft. It feels like burnt plastic. And uh, what I got to learn, because I was super curious about this, what happens if I work on you consistently in that area with this burnt plastic? Can I change it? The answer is yes. But it took years, and that's years of heat through my hands and heat through friction and heat through myofascial release of pulling those 
burnt tissues apart so that they could get the proper liquid and, and proper movement of the area that they needed so that it facilitated movement. And so you're not tight there anymore, correct? A, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing much we can do because it is, you can feel right in my armpit, it's like skin to bone. There's, correct. There's but that that's the, the, you're missing the adipose layer, or the fat layer that surrounds right. that area. So when they, they take all that out so they can get in there and, and look at what they need to look at. So a lot of times in those kind of surgeries where fat surrounds muscle or bone, they take the fat out just so they can see what they're looking at. And so what you're letting, and they don't replace it. So what you have is, like you said, straight muscle tissue attached to skin and attached to bone. Um, so it's not it's not jiggly. It doesn't have any kind of, of movement to it other than you can see the muscle really clearly, and it's a lot harder. It's not soft like touching Correct. a normal tissue would be. Correct. Um, the other thing was, oh, my goodness, what were you talking about after that? We were talking about the... Mark Ferry, the... the, uh, the uh, the clinical trial. Um, we were going and getting blood draws every week, twice a week, from Larry, Larry the Vampire. He was the nicest man. <laughs> nicest Biggest man. Lakers fan I've Biggest ever Lakers seen. Fan. Really? That's oh, funny. His whole, his whole office was yellow and purple. Uh, but he was the nicest guy. And he had a he had a sign called Larry the Vampire. It was He was the blood draw guy. But he had, he had a touch. But after the radiation, my last day of radiation was New Year's Eve. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I remember that. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. New beginning. I like that. Yeah. But then we had uh, a recovery period from that, and then we started in. Um, But, well, I don't know where you're going with the blood draws because we haven't got to that horrible thing where they did in my life. Well, I have have a question though. So they they did all of the radiation and you said it's like, um, it's like a, uh, a sunburn on the inside. So during that time period, you're, you're exhausted, I guess. Yes, I was very exhausted. Um, and, and I did get some cream from the doctors because it just itched. Oh, yeah. You know, itching it, just like a sunburn. Right. To use on it. And so every time I hear somebody having radiation, I always say, make sure you get it from the doctor. Uh, that's awesome. And the other thing um, through all of this was I was still working. Oh, I wow. continue to work through, you know, I did my recovery after the surgery right. and, and that, but, and nobody at work except for my boss knew that I had cancer because I didn't want the, right. You don't oh, want that. Oh, yeah. there's Lisa. She's got yeah. cancer. Right. Let, let me tell you, that was really important. I was just going to say a lot of people didn't know. My kids even later said, you didn't tell us how bad it was. I, I, I didn't know I did that, but I mean, we kept it from a lot of people because we were totally staying positive. We discovered Life is Good, which was a super positive brand name. We wore that stuff all the time. We found the fuck cancer hats, right? You know what I mean? A- anything that we could do outside and inside, uh, we, really, we really, really worked on. The radiation thing, I remember what my second thing was. In addition to working on you and loosening that tissue up for years, you celebrated that anniversary internally for years there would be days you would wake up and and it'd be two or three days and you'd go i don't know what's wrong with me i just i can't get out just of bed dragging and we would go look at that we'd go back to the books and sure enough this would be the time frame that you were in so your body knew cyclically 
when you had gone through that radiation and it it celebrated that birthday for well, years to come. Well, and we still come. have things where I will tank or something will be off and we'll have to go back and try and figure out time frames to because your body just knows, you know, we all talk about muscle memory and it knows the body, it knows. The body remembers. Yes. There's books written about that. Um Oh, I had a thing. What was it? Body remembers, body remembers. I don't know. Um, so after that, then it's time for the clinical trial, the horrible, horrible clinical trial. And here's how that worked. They put a ballpoint pen-sized catheter into your femoral artery. That is at the top of your thigh. That artery is about as big as your middle finger. The, uh, the needle that they put in there was designed to draw blood out. They put that blood through a machine that separates your white blood cells from your red blood cells. They put the white blood cells into a bag and they sent it down to a uh, place in uh, San, Diego. San Diego, La Jolla. They throw some of your killer T cells in with this medicine that they have and then they send it back and they infuse that back into you and basically your uh, white cells kill the cancer that's within you. Wow, you made it sound so simple. <laughs> so from the patient's point of view, you go in and they don't knock you out for this. You have Wait, to stay awake. They're going to put that port in and yes. you're awake. Yes, <laughs> and, and they tell you, you have to lay perfectly still. You cannot move because if too many red cells get mixed in with the white blood cells, then we have to go through and do this all again. So I'm laying there and they, they give me the, the lidocaine on the surface to numb it up and they shove this needle. I didn't realize that when you were laying down that you could pass out. Oh my goodness. I mean, because my blood pressure just tanked. tanked right. It was excruciating pain. And then to have to lay there for probably two hours. Wait, the whole process takes two hours? Yeah. And it hurts the whole time? Well, he's Pretty already much. got it in, but right. you can't move. So you're just laying perfectly still. We get the results back. Lo and behold, guess who had too many red blood cells? Oh. And they had to do it a second time. Oh, the same day? No. Oh, okay. You have to no. come back. But you got to come back, to, which is right. almost worse, right? Right. Because I have, yeah. I have the anxiety of knowing how bad that hurt. Now, I don't recall it hurting as bad, maybe because I was aware of what was going on. You right. still almost passed out the second time. So, you know, we had to go through that. And then... That's just to start the clinical trial. So they go down and they make the little super cells and then they send it back and they have to do an infusion, which is, you know, just like getting a blood transfusion. It, it was it was simple. But, you know, now I have I have only one arm that they can use for anything oh, because they've right. taken all the lymph nodes out of my left arm. Oh my so my right arm is the only arm they have to use for anything. And uh, we had to go in for I think it was four infusions and to get all the, the supercells back into me. And that was a weekly trip to Santa Monica. Wow. And it's always at rush hour, uh. you know? So we, you know, driving into LA it is an hour and a half on a good day. Right, right. If, Not if dealing, nothing bad happened, you know, little traffic accident Right, but or we're going into Santa Monica. So, you know, 
my boss was wonderful. He would allow me to take files, my work at home day, mm. and I would read files, you know, on the way down there and on the way back. Oh yeah, just so I wasn't losing any time at work. So when they're infusing, just because, like, I, I'm right. interested. So do you have a port or are they just putting it into your... They're no, just, just putting- in into the vein. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, they just stick you in that great big vein in your arm. You and know, just time like, after time, in four weeks of doing that, that's it's got to be, you know, the vein starts to go, you know what? No. <laughs> oh, and see, that was just the beginning of it. Um, because they use the big needle like they do for at the, the blood place. Right. Blood draw. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so they would use that. So I do have one vein that's pretty beat up because after we had the infusion... Then I was going in weekly or every two weeks for quite a long time into Santa Monica for blood draws. Oh, wow. And it was equivalent to when when they finally switched over to 25 vials of blood they were taking at a time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Which I've I've had a couple dr- blood draws like that, and afterwards you're just exhausted. You just feel like I could faint right now. Right. Wow. Yeah. So e- each time they poke you, they're scarring too. It's it's the equivalent of dry needling, right? And and I, I've seen that in dissection classes. Every time they poke that vein, it produces a scar, and they're scarring involved around all the tissues from the skin all the way through into the vein. So there's that. We learned uh, you need to. I have a question. So during the um, during the time when you're getting the medicine from the clinical trial, are you tired? Are you does it hurt? What are you feeling anything from that? It doesn't hurt, and it didn't it it didn't have any effect. I I don't remember you know feeling any differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's not like I felt critters running around in my body or <laughs> right. or anything. Right. I didn't have any effects from that. Okay. That was it? That was it. You got that question out of the way? I did. Okay. Um, So, again, and that's kind of the the same thing as when you had the cancer. You didn't feel anything, right? Right. The the cancer didn't produce you feeling sicker, and the cure didn't produce you feeling better. It was – so part of that psychologically is maddening because you're being told what's happening, but you can't really feel – or you don't look like a cancer victim, or, you know, I mean, all the things that go with that. So. Right, because we see everything they portray on TV, of yeah, these cancer yeah. patients that just right. look like death warmed yeah, over, and lot, that wasn't me. Lots of different healing goes on. So the end result of all of that, because then it's like, now wait, right? And one of the interesting anomalies that happened in your body is that you had some moles that started disappearing. They, wow. From, from the um, treatment. From the treatment. That's how they knew it was working. But when they noticed that your moles were disappearing, they brought you in and started looking and documenting because they hadn't seen that before. So that was pretty interesting with you. Um, the, and, it, and in line with that, I had a big um, birthmark on my right calf. It was coffee stain you know, thing. Yeah. And it it's all disappeared are you kidding really because these these um super cells that uh-huh. they put back in me if what it does is it goes in and if it doesn't recognize that it's not cancer 
then it eats these cells and, and it it's eats kind up of the melanin. Like if, if y'all out there know anything about macrophages, I've seen macrophages that can eat away at tattoos even. If it's a foreign thing in the body, a macrophage is, is a, a cell that will eat and uh, devour some of the things that are in your body. So this particular medicine that they used on her didn't recognize moles as being something that should have been in her body, so it just started eating away at anything that was discolored. So all the moles on her body, if they do still exist, are a lot lighter. Yeah. And and uh, they were real interested in that because they got and they got. I remember being in the room. They got real excited when they noticed that because it was it was. Uh, I have a proof, lot of halos. Proof, proof to them that it was working. The end result of that over time was, and that, then we went to Santa Monica once a week or twice a week, once a week, once every two weeks, three weeks, once a month, six, three months, six months. We did that for about 10 years. Right. And and Ferris wow. told you he was going to watch you for the rest of your life, right? Right. And, I, and speaking of what he did tell me that he would watch over me, and we went in for one visit and found out that he was leaving to go back to Harvard and- <gasps> teach oh which is goodness. where it was from she lost it Aww. i did i it was the the bottom dropped out right. from under me it it was probably just as bad as when my mom died oh my goodness it, it was like what's gonna happen to me now right. i i i was because you've developed a trust and an understanding this man saved my life right and now he's leaving right wow. and I'm not going to get the same kind of care, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So I went into a depression. For sure. Yeah. And then uh, something happened and he came back. Yes. Uh, and, oh, okay. Yeah. And he eventually retired there from there. Um, so long story short, yeah. Um, this thing that they did with you where they took out uh, the white blood cells and put them back into you is the current method of treating cancer today. Yes. Mm. And you were, again, I still believe you were the last one of that clinical trial that uh, has become the proven cancer treatment globally to this day. And you are living proof 17 years later, 18 years later, uh, that it worked because you have been cancer-free. Uh, you get... Uh, MRIs? I, well, I was getting PET scans. PET scans annually, and now it's they've dropped that down to... Well, they after 12 years, they don't recommend it because what we found I when I'd gone in, they found a couple little things, and, you know, it sends everybody into panic, and then you go in, and it was fatty tissue, uh, okay. and it was nothing. Right. So now it, it's just more of a self-exam um, kind of thing. But I did get released from the clinical trial. And that was another weird thing, because it, it was just like somebody had been watching over me for all these years. And now I have nobody watching over me. You're free. I'm watching over you, honey. Yes. Thanks, babe. <laughs> okay. Wow. Lisa Kay, any questions? Uh, no, but I want to I want to thank Lisa, because that was brave. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have stories that are really, really hard to tell. And, um, or they feel super private, right? And we don't really want to share it. Um, but uh, I think it it speaks to you because you were willing to come on and talk to us about it. And there are people out there who who may be going through the same thing or maybe facing it in the future. So um, thank you for sharing all of that. I'm sure. If there's anything we sell here, it's hope. 
Yeah. And we can back it up because we know badass women like my wife who've lived through it, right? Mm-hmm. She was she was going to die and she ain't dead and she's here and, and she's doing okay, right? But, you know, I hear you say that and I hear other people talk about it and it just doesn't seem like it's it's ever me you're talking about. And I think it goes back to not really ever feeling sick. You know, I didn't, I didn't lose my hair because I had radiation. I didn't lose, you know, any of that, that stuff. So, you know, it's still after all these years, and even living through it, it's like, was I really that close to death? Mm. You know, I'm sure you see it a lot different than I do. In- well, here's an interesting thing that we've talked about, and then, then we're going to close because we've gone way over. But Sorry. Um, no. No, no, no. Totally worth it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things is like you get to a, well, I'm going to change my life, and I'm going to eat greens, and I'm going to drink oxygenated water, and I'm going to exercise, and I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to be a better person. And then six months later, two years later, three years later, you're like, what the hell, right? And we've had this conversation. I had fucking cancer and I was dying and what am I doing with my body right now, right? right. Um, but, I mean, that alludes to what you were just saying. You never really felt like you were sick. You never really felt like you were dying. Just the establishment was telling you so and we've read a crap load of stuff that says that you were gonna and you did and all the numbers showed it. It was just a weird anomaly and that's the nature of that specific beast. Um, what we want to say... What? Oh. oh Go yeah. ahead. Well... Leading at the beginning of it, you talked about the mortality rate, the 80% and all this. And there, I know we asked Dr. Ferries on several occasions, you know, what's the mortality rate here? And he never would not give me any kind of time frame, which I think lends a lot to why I'm still here. Right. You know, know. I didn't have that mindset that, oh, okay, I'm going to make it five years or 10 years. Right. He was actually really good about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've come to the end of our story here. It was a good story. I'm I'm very grateful you're still alive. Me too. Yeah. We've we've had some good times. We have. Um, So there you go, listener. That's the love of my life right there. Lisa Kay, you got any any parting words? Uh, I don't. Uh, I, that's I, a rare thing folks <laughs> hang on to that and enjoy enjoy it uh, look there's hope out there and you have the right to question your stuff and you have the right to question your doctors and you have the right to learn about your body and what's making you sick and what's making you well and making choices do that do not settle for status quo. Do not think because they're a big hospital organization they can push you around. If you don't like what you're getting, go get something different because there's different ways to fix stuff. There's different ways to heal. There are alternative ways in addition to proper medicine that you can get better. And uh, don't believe for a second that you can't. Well, I think... You know, as we said, that we had to become our own advocates. And this was, you know, 17, 18, 19 years ago that uh, going through all of that. Mm-hmm. I think you need to do that even more so now because oh, yeah. of so many problems in the healthcare system, the shortages and so on. So you really need to do your research and uh, advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're under a great deal of stress too. Oh, they but are. But, right. th- you know, they only have limited knowledge. So you have to become an expert in your own issue. There's it. 
parting words from a woman who is alive today because she refused to die. I was in love. I wasn't willing to give Aww, it up. Oh, honey. Happy birthday, love. Y'all be good humans. Peace out.